just a daily week, but this chapter in Isaiah also fits well with Ezekiel uh, and also in connection with anticipating coming to the table of the Lord. So I want to read from Isaiah 55, focusing on 1 and 2. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to be void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree. And instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. So far, the reading of God's holy word. Have you ever been to a busy flea market? I remember once being at a market where every stand claimed to have the best price and the best product anywhere. If you buy from me, you are surely going to save. Everyone seemed to have the same message as his neighbor. Buy from me and you'll never regret it. Invest in my product and you'll not be sorry. I'm sure many of you have had a similar experience. Perhaps you've had a vacuum cleaner salesman come to your door and tell you how dirty your house is because you don't have the superior brand of vacuum cleaner. Or you may have had a salesman at your door eagerly trying to convince you that your cleaning products are not up to snuff. To get yourself back on track, you need to take advantage of their fantastic offer. Buy their product and your house will surely sparkle. 
Purchase their air purifying system and you will breathe easier and live a longer and happier life. We've all met shysters who simply want to transfer money from your wallet to theirs. The buyer needs to beware that he's not being taken for a ride through a slick, smooth-talking salesman. It is wise to read the fine print and to consider, are there any strings attached? Is the deal really a deal? The bargain really a bargain? Are the advantages as great as they are made out to be? Is the salesman genuinely concerned about me as he makes it appear? Is the product genuine or is it perhaps a counterfeit? These are some of the daily challenges for the consumer. None of us want to be taken advantage of. Sometimes we hear horror stories about people who are robbed because they were deceived by some golden-tongued salesman. I once met a couple who bought a house many years ago. Outwardly, it looked great to them. They were thrilled. However, when the first winter came, they began to wonder why they couldn't keep the place warm. And one day they went up into the attic and discovered that they didn't have a scrap of insulation. They later discovered that their neighbor's house, built by the same contractor, was just like theirs. No insulation whatsoever. In the course of time, they began to realize that this wasn't the only area in which the contractors had skimped. There were other parts of the structure that were equally neglected. This nice couple knew virtually nothing about homes and building. It seems they trusted the sales agent, and in the end, it cost them a wagon load of money and much aggravation. Now, congregation, it's one thing to be cheated on the purchase of a home, car, or a vacuum cleaner. It's quite another matter to be cheated and deceived when it comes to the basic message of salvation. If you're deceived in the purchase of a home, it may cost you some money. If you're duped in the purchase of a car, you may have to get another one. But if you are swindled when it comes to the very basic message of the gospel, you will lose your own soul. In our text for this morning, we want to consider the invitation of our Lord. Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Come! As we anticipate coming to the table of the Lord next week, I want to direct your thoughts to two things. First, a precious invitation. Second, a pertinent inquiry. We'll spend the bulk of our time on point number one, a precious invitation. Have a look with me, please, in your Bibles to verse 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. The Lord extended this invitation to those who were thirsty, hungry, and completely flat broke. Now, just a word about the background. Isaiah, the writer of this book, was called as a prophet in the year that King Uzziah died. He prophesied during the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. 
We have a record of his call in that sixth chapter. The Lord appeared to him in that, you'll recall that magnificent vision. And Isaiah heard the Lord's voice saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Having seen the majesty, holiness, and splendor of God, the prophet offered himself to the service of his Lord. And then God gave him his task. What did he say to Isaiah? He said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Isaiah had to preach to a people, many of whom would not hear. And his preaching would even be the means by which they would be further hardened in their sin. At the very beginning of this book, we get a glimpse into the spiritual condition of the people of God at that time. Do you recall what the Lord said in chapter 1? I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider, alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. The Lord had brought them up as a father nourishes and raises his children. He invested much love and compassion in them. Nevertheless, they rebelled against him and rejected his love. The Lord said that Israel was less perceptive than the ox and the donkey. The ox at least knows its owner. The donkey knows its master's feeding trough, but Israel does not know nor consider their God. The Lord said of them, the whole head is sick and the whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed up or bound up or soothed with ointment. God compared Israel to a human body that reeks of open, undressed sores. You know how an untreated sore can begin to stink, right? Imagine your whole body covered in open, festering, untreated sores. The stench would be absolutely unbearable. You leave the sores without any bandages or ointment, and it becomes worse and worse. Your body is literally rotting from the bottom of your feet to the top of your head. Sometimes we see pictures of people in underdeveloped countries who suffer terribly from various diseases. The sight of them is horrible. It's hard even to look at the pictures. Well, this is how the nation of Israel was seen by God. They were spiritually sick, spiritually decaying, spiritually rotten. God smelled the stench of putrefying sores. Now, brothers and sisters, 
In the midst of all this, the people were still coming to the temple and presenting their sacrifices to the Lord. Externally, they had not entirely rejected the laws of Moses. However, their sacrifices and incense were an abomination in the sight of God. Therefore, the Lord said to them, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. You do nothing but trample my courts. You might as well stop bringing your sacrifices. Your Sabbaths, assemblies, and sacred meetings are repulsive. My soul hates them. You may make many prayers, but I will not hear you. The people of Israel assumed that as long as they went through the correct procedures, they were secure. It was okay. They were doing just fine. They put their trust in formalities, thinking that God would be pleased with them. But God said, I want none of it. You may come to my house of worship. You may bring all the correct sacrifices at, at all the correct times, but it's in vain. For your life shows that your heart is not in it. Your sacrifices and incense cannot buy me off. Congregation, the church today ought to consider these things as well. We may externally appear to do all the right things. Yet the Lord may look upon us and say, you are a stench in my nostrils. For you have never truly trusted in me. You have never sincerely looked to Christ alone for complete salvation. You've trusted in yourself and your religious system. You sought security in the church and its ordinances rather than in the head of the church and that to which the ordinances point. I'm not interested in bare, lifeless formalities. Because this was the condition of Israel, because they were a self-deceived, covenant-breaking church, the Lord said in chapter 39, verse 6, Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Isaiah predicted that the kingdom of Babylon would swallow up the kingdom of Judah. Zion would become a heap of rubble. The great temple would be destroyed. It would appear as though God had abandoned his people and cast them away. The predicted captivity in chapter 39 set the stage for what is written in chapters 40 to 66. The last 27 chapters of this book are written from the perspective of the Babylonian exile as though it was already a reality. In chapters 40 to 66, we see that although God's people are sent into exile because of their sin, nevertheless, the Lord will once again deliver them from captivity through his anointed servant, Cyrus. 
And not only will he deliver them from the Babylonian captivity, but more importantly, he will deliver them from spiritual captivity through the servant of Yahweh. Through the servant of Yahweh would come salvation. Chapter 55. The Lord, through the prophet Isaiah, extended an invitation to receive the salvation of the Lord, the deliverance of the servant of Yahweh, to receive the benefits of the grace of God. The invitation in our text is extended to those who thirst, to those who cannot pay. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come. Thirst was a concept in the Middle East that people could easily identify with. There was not an abundance of water. Therefore, it was a common sight to see people carrying a water vessel to sell water in the streets. As such a person walked along, he would call out the sale of this water. You'll see that in Ecuador as well. People could hear him coming down the streets, and those who were thirsty would know exactly where to find water. Isaiah, however, is not speaking about physical water which soothes the parched throat. Together with water, he offers food, wine, and milk. Isaiah is offering all that is needed for spiritual life and refreshment. The mention of water brings to mind other passages of Scripture, such as Psalm 42. The psalmist said, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm 63, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Congregation, do those words resonate in your hearts this morning? Does your soul thirst for the living God? There's a sense in which all people thirst. We're created in the image of God, and within the heart of every person who has ever lived, there is the knowledge of God. No matter what people may do, they cannot entirely escape the knowledge of God. You can't escape it. Because of this, they are restless. They look for satisfaction, something to quench their thirst. But in their spiritual blindness and rebellion, they turn to everything but the pure, clear water. Through the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord spoke of those who, were, who had committed two evils. Two evils. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And number two, they have hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Many look for satisfaction in the world and in the enjoyment of it. The void in their life is filled with everything except the favor and pleasure of God. Broken cisterns. 
But the scriptures call you today not to satisfy your hunger and thirst in the world, but to come to the waters that the Lord provides. Come and taste of the food, wine, and milk that the Lord lovingly offers. Come so that your emptiness is satisfied and the void filled. The water, bread, wine, and milk of the world is only a poor substitute, a counterfeit. It may temporarily satisfy your thirst and hunger, but it is a false satisfaction. It provides no lasting nourishment. It temporarily satisfies the senses, but not the soul. That inner restlessness and turmoil can only be satisfied through the spiritual provision of God. In congregation, please notice what Isaiah says about the cost of this provision. We would expect it to be so costly that we could never afford it. We would expect it to have such a high price tag that we would be immediately turned away. But what does Isaiah say about this spiritual refreshment? He says, verse 1b, He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. The greatest provision that anyone could ever imagine is offered absolutely free of charge. Those who are flat broke are invited to eat and drink. Doesn't that describe you? Broke, penniless, bankrupt, needy. People of God, in this invitation, don't we hear the words of our Lord when he said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To come to Jesus is to believe in him. Scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day had placed a heavy burden of rules and regulations on the shoulders of the people. Essentially, they taught that obedience to these rules merited righteousness in the sight of God. But the people, through it all, became burdened and heavy laden. The attempt to achieve one's salvation through personal exertion is always a, an exhausting endeavor. Jesus said to those who were caught in such a system, come to me and I will give you rest. Believe in me and I will relieve your fear, anxiety, and despair. In John 7, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Teachers in Israel had placed a, a heavy yoke on the necks of the people, a legalistic yoke of man-made rules, a yoke which stressed obedience to their traditions and regulations. Jesus said, you need to take my yoke upon you. Accept my teaching. Trust me for salvation. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink.
the attempt to save oneself by means of careful adherence to rabbinic traditions brought nothing but complete exhaustion, hopelessness, and despair. And yet, congregation, how often do people fall into the very error of the Pharisees? Before his conversion, Martin Luther used to work with all his might, as you know, to earn his salvation. In his days in the monastery, he lived a life of strict asceticism. He would pray fast and beat himself. Sometimes he'd be so wasted away that he looked like a skeleton. Even in the most bitter cold of winter, he left his cell unheated. He would often spend the night in prayers, and seldom did he sleep on a cot. In a letter that he once wrote to the Pope after his conversion, he said this, I often endured an agony so hellish in violence that if those spells had lasted a minute longer, I must have died then and there. He did all that he should have done, and more. And yet he was constantly plagued by a sense of utter sinfulness, his sinfulness at his lost condition. At times he would be cast into the deepest gloom of black despair. By the grace of God, Luther eventually came to see that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Under the yoke of the teachings of Rome, he grew weary and heavy laden. But once he saw that salvation was by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, the burden was lifted and he found rest for his soul, he came to Christ and drank. Have you done that? How thankful we can be, people of God that we who are spiritually broke, who have nothing of any spiritual value to offer to God, how grateful we can be that He invites us to come, buy, and eat without money and without price. And yet, as wonderful as it may be, it appears that many cannot accept this basic message. Several years ago, my cousin had a dog that had quite a number of pups. When they were old enough to leave their mother, he put an ad in the local newspaper offering free pups. He was rather puzzled when he didn't get a single call. A few weeks later, he put an ad in the paper again, this time offering the pups at so many dollars apiece. Within a week, he sold every one of them. This is also how some people react to the message of salvation. They feel as though we need to do something. Many believe that unless they contribute to it, it's not sufficient. That attitude seems to linger in all of us to some degree, doesn't it? Doesn't it linger in you? We want to do something, offer something, merit something. But God doesn't offer salvation to you for a price. There is nothing in the world that is valuable enough to earn it or buy it. You see, the price has already been paid. The water, bread, wine, and milk are obtained only by divine grace. There was a price paid so that these spiritual benefits can be offered freely to you. 
The price was the chastisement that was placed upon the servant of Yahweh. What did Jesus cry in agony from the cross, children? What did Jesus cry in agony from the cross? I thirst. He endured unbearable thirst, God-forsakenness, so that you may receive life-giving water. It's only because of his incomprehensible suffering that you may drink and your soul be satisfied. Just two chapters back, we see what the true cost was so that we today may receive all that is needed for spiritual life. In Isaiah 53, you know that chapter, don't you? The third verse, we read these unfathomable words. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You may come, congregation, without money and without price. But that does not mean that salvation is cheap. A great price that is beyond our comprehension was paid so that the blessings which you so desperately need could be granted. You are now invited to take of that spiritual provision. You are to receive it to yourself and make it your own. Say with the hymn writer, I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give the living water, thirsty one. Stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched. My soul revived and now I live in him. I ask you this morning, have you drank of that life-giving stream? Has your thirst been quenched, your soul revived? If so, the table of the Lord next week is for you. Eat, drink, remember, and believe. And if any of you choose not to come to the table, what are you suggesting by not coming? What are you suggesting by not coming? Is there anyone else who can satisfy your soul? Are any of you trying to find water in broken cisterns? Dear friends, having heard the precious invitation and having been reminded of the immensity of this gift, we are challenged with a very pertinent inquiry. Point number two, a pertinent inquiry. Look with me, please, in your Bibles to verse 2. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Why? Why? Why would you turn down this free gift and expend your energy for what is not bread? 
Why would you busy yourself in the pursuit of those things that only earn a pseudo-satisfaction? Why would you attempt to procure fullness of life that cannot be obtained through the efforts of sinners? Why? Why? How foolish we can be. God offers water, bread, wine, and milk, yet in our sinful blindness we would turn down his gracious offer and labor so as to obtain it by our own efforts. But all of man's efforts only deceive himself, for what he obtains is never true bread, and what he earns is unsatisfactory. And so the Lord says to the prophet Isaiah, second part of verse 2, listen carefully, diligently to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Why would you pursue the purchasing of false bread when the Lord sets before you the true bread? God says, don't listen to what others have to say. Listen diligently to me. Plug your ears to all deceiving voices and listen to me. Eat what is good. Israel had listened to many other voices. And they were deceived. And as a result, they ended up in Babylonian captivity. They listened to everyone but the Lord. And as a result, they did not delight themselves in his abundance in rich food. Congregation, let us not duplicate the folly of Israel. Listen to the voice of God. Listen to his gracious invitation. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. If you do not hear, your soul shall die. How terribly tragic it is when people reject the gospel. Instead of delighting in abundance for eternity, they will suffer in agony in the torments of hell. Listen, in the New Testament, you find that story of the rich man and Lazarus. Both of them died. Lazarus was carried to Abraham's bosom, but the rich man went to hell. And being in torments, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And what did he cry out? Children, do you remember? Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame, water. Congregation, young people, children, please hear this. Having rejected the water of life, he was no longer granted so much as one drop of cool water. Lazarus delighted himself in abundance in the bosom of Abraham while the rich man was separated forever from the grace and soul-satisfying kindness of God. He would not receive even one drop of water. How important it is that you rightly respond to the invitation now, today, 
while it is still the day of grace. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. John 4, Jesus sat down by the well in Samaria. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. The woman responded with surprise. How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? What was Jesus' response? He answered with these words, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you what? Children? Living water. Whoever drinks of the water of this well will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. In Revelation 21, we read these words. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Congregation, as you come to the table of the Lord next week, do you come with a hunger and a thirst for God and his provision? Do you say with the psalmist, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God? Do you come to have your thirst quenched and your hunger satisfied through his gracious and generous supply? Don't spend money for what is not bread, but rather look to him who said, I am the bread of life. His body was broken and his blood was shed so that your soul may be fed and nourished to everlasting life. (coughs) Howard Rutledge was a U.S. Air Force pilot shot down over North Vietnam. He spent several miserable years in, in the hands of his captors. After being released at the war's conclusion, he wrote this, I quote, During those longer periods of enforced reflection, it became so much easier to separate the important from the trivial, the worthwhile from the waste. For example, in the past, I usually worked or played hard on Sundays and had no time for church. For years, my wife had encouraged me to join the family at church, but I was too busy, too preoccupied to spend a few short hours a week thinking about the really important things. Now the sights and sounds and smells of death were all around me. My hunger for spiritual food soon outdid my hunger for a steak. Now I wanted to know about that part of me that will never die. Now I wanted to talk about God and Christ and the church. But in solitary confinement, there was no pastor. No Sunday school teacher, no Bible, no hymn book, no community of believers to guide and sustain me. I had completely neglected the spiritual dimension of my life. 
It took prison to show me how empty life is without God. Dear friends, don't wait till you're in a POW camp to think about spiritual food and drink. Don't wait till you're in a fix. Outside of Christ, there's no life. Without him, we're rotten from the sole of our foot to the crown of our head. We're a stench in the nostrils of God. But those who thirst are invited to come to the waters. Those who have no spiritual virtue are invited to buy and eat. Wine and milk are freely granted to those who come. Then, dear friends, don't delay, but listen diligently to the voice of God. The Spirit and the Bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Come and buy without money. Eat, drink, be satisfied, and live forever. Let us pray. Lord, your grace to sinners is astonishing. We sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But we can, Lord, don't frequently ponder just how amazing that grace really is. We pray that having heard this invitation, that each one of us would respond appropriately, that our souls would be satisfied, and that next week we may come to the table of the Lord completely confident in the one who extended the invitation to sinners. We can come, we can drink, we can eat, and we can be satisfied. Lord, if there are any here who are restless, who are looking to broken cisterns to fill their emptiness and to satisfy their longings, if any of our young people have not committed their life to this gracious Savior. We pray that in your mercy they would seek the Lord while he may be found, that they would call upon him while he is near. We look to the work of your Holy Spirit. We pray, dear God, that you give us ears to hear, all of us ears to hear, this gracious invitation. Come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Hear us, Lord our God. In the name of Christ Jesus, who endured that incomprehensible thirst for the living God, on Calvary's cross, 
in order that our thirst may be quenched. We praise you. We love you. We worship you. Amen.